Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We are in a three-week series called Hospitality is Mission. In this series, we want to look at what the Bible says about hospitality as a means to invite others to encounter Jesus. Thanks for joining us. Well, we are in a series called Hospitality as Mission. And last uh, week, Steve kicked off that series, uh, this series with a great message, if you didn't get a chance to hear it. And he mentioned that he was following on uh, the footsteps of, of Brian, the heels of Brian's message, where we talked about the fact that if we are going to be a church that really lives out the way of Jesus and his mission, we're going to have to be outward focused. Why? Because as Elliot Clark says, we need to recognize that the greatest hope for our unbelieving neighbors isn't them coming to us, but God sending us to them by us going to them. And that's a difference because in the past, our culture, people just were curious about coming to church. They were at least seeking that. That was at least sometimes the social hub of a town. But now, again, churches have fallen in the way that they're perceived in our country. And that's okay because God's still in charge. The point is, is that are we being a healthy church? Are we becoming growing Christians that God wants us to be and still staying on mission? Um, A man named Steve Childers asked this question. What is the key to sharing our faith in the 21st century? His answer, hospitality. Because we need to be people that are regularly saying, what can I do for you? How about you? And being outward looking, outward focused. And that's a challenge. That's a challenge if you haven't noticed. Because in the last 30 years, uh, the amount of time that people are spending with their neighbors and friends has dropped massively. We have become more cocooned as a culture than ever before. We like our privacy. We like that. And so today's message, um, I was given a great topic, and I want to talk to you about it. And uh, so here it is, if you're following along. Here's what I hope you'll see today, is that Jesus lives on mission, sharing meals and eating food to connect with others. Jesus lives on mission, sharing meals and eating food to connect with others. This was his practice in ways that I had no idea. I I just need to tell you, when Steve asked me to teach on this subject, I was was kind of disappointed. Because I thought, you know, I I just don't know. I just don't know if I can see the connection, especially when he gave me the text I'm going to walk through with you. And I just, I thought, wow. And I realized that God had to do a work in me and help me see something I was missing. Friends, I just want to tell you, we're going to look at the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000 a day, just a little bit. I never, ever saw that as an act of hospitality by Jesus. But it's a huge act of hospitality. And he had this habit of coming and eating and drinking with people. The the son of God comes down to earth and does this incredibly just ordinary thing every day with people. And it was about sharing meals and eating food with other people. In fact, let me just share with you, uh, there's a great book uh, that I read in preparation for this uh, by Tim Chester. It's called A Meal with Jesus. And he says there are three ways in the New Testament that complete this sentence. Three verses. The Son of Man came. In Mark 10, 45, it says the Son of Man came not to serve, but to be served. 
In Luke 19.10, it says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You want to know the third time? In Luke 7.34, it says, in fact, you can read it with me if you have it there on your notes. Let's read it together. The first gray box, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to serve and not be served. And he came eating and drinking with people. It's a powerful thing. Now, again, before we actually look at Luke 9, which is going to be our text today, let me just ask you to turn your notes over. Because this is just something I, I was struck by myself. And so I put it on the back of your notes so you could at least see it. The meals that Jesus shares with people in Luke's gospel, you'll see how many different chapters are listed there. But you'll see in Luke 5, Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners at Levi's home. Steve mentioned that last week. In Luke 7, Jesus is anointed during a meal at Simon the Pharisee's home. In Luke 9, which we're going to look at today, Jesus feeds 5,000 men plus women and children. In Luke 10, Jesus eats at Martha and Mary's home. In Luke 11, Jesus confronts the Pharisees and teachers of the law at a meal. In Luke 14, Jesus is at a meal when he urges people to invite the poor to meals. In Luke 19, Jesus invites himself to a meal at Zacchaeus' home. In Luke 22, Jesus eats the Last Supper with his disciples. In Luke 24, the risen Jesus has a meal with two disciples in Emmaus. In Luke 24, later, the risen Jesus eats fish with his disciples in Jerusalem. And then you'll see there's some other mentions of food in the Gospel of Luke. But what I want you to see specifically is that in Luke 22, Jesus speaks of one day eating and drinking at my table in my kingdom. So here's the bottom line. You and I, if we're followers of Jesus, might as well get used to eating and drinking with each other and with other people. Because that's what we're going to be doing in eternity. Now, I love the quote at the bottom of this page. Do you see it? Do you mind reading it with me out loud? In Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. Isn't that interesting? So what I want to do is invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, and we're going to look at this together today. We're going to look at verses 10 through 17. If you're here in the room and you want to use one of the Bibles, hopefully nearby there's a black Bible near you, and if you're using that, it's on page 841. If you're watching online or just using your own Bible, Luke 9 is in the last fourth of your Bible. And so when you turn there, we're going to look at verses 10 through 17, and I just want to make some observations, and then I want to bring it home and apply it to how you and I can actually do this in our own lives, no matter where we are, no matter what our starting point is. So do you mind praying with me before we look at God's word that he might feed us from his word? Now, God, I know that I'm the one up here, but I still pray you would be our teacher. There's something different when you talk to us. And so I pray you would speak to every person that's in this room that has come willing to listen and be taught. And I ask God that you would get the the glory for how we respond to you and that we would honor you the way you have honored us by giving yourself so fully to us. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so uh, Luke 9, verse 10, let me start, and then I'm going to invite you to read verse 11 in that second gray box when we come to that, and verse 16 when we come to that in the third gray box. So here we go. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Now, just to give you background, if you look at the first nine verses, Jesus had sent them out. Are you hearing a theme in the last few weeks of our messages? 
He had sent them out. In other words, he said, I'm not going to be the only one doing it. I want you to go, and I want you to proclaim the kingdom of God, and I want you to heal people. I want you to care about them. I want you to mingle with people, and I want you to let other villages know that I'm at work and that the kingdom has arrived. Okay? So, verse uh, 10 says, Then they took with him, uh, they took, excuse me, then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. In some of the other, by the way, this, this miracle is in all four Gospels. And in some of the other Gospels, it says that they, because they were tired from ministry, Jesus was trying to get away with them to a quiet place that they might have a chance to regroup and, and uh, just review what had been going on. Now, verse 11, would you mind reading that with me from the gray box? But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Now, this is an interesting thing. Let me just, uh, if you're following along the notes, let me just make the first observation. He's showing and telling people about the kingdom of God. He is showing and telling people about the kingdom of God. Um, When you think of the kingdom of God, because we aren't used to having a king, uh, the, the kingdom of God, my, my professor in seminary used to always substitute the word reign for the word kingdom. So he'd say the reign of God. And I love that because what it means is the reign of God is wherever God is given place. So wherever he comes, whenever Jesus was there, now the kingdom of God was there and it was present. And it's where people submit to him, people surrender to him. So Jesus is bringing the kingdom of God to earth from heaven. And as he's proclaiming this, he's actually showing and telling them. He's not just telling them about the kingdom of God. He's showing them. He's going to do it now in a very, very powerful way. Look at this quote again by Peter Leinhart. I love this. For Jesus, feast was not just a metaphor for the kingdom. He came teaching about the feast of the kingdom and he came feasting in the kingdom. Jesus did not go around merely talking about eating and drinking. He went around eating and drinking a lot. And so what I want us to see is that now he's going to actually, he's concerned about the people. And again, this is a large crowd. The the other gospels complete this idea that it's not just 5,000. In those days, again, because of the patriarchal thing, they tended to count men. But the writer of the New Testament saying, and there were women and children there too. I mean, that's just, that's just estimating how many men were there. So this is a large crowd. And so it's an amazing miracle. So look at verse 12, if you're following along. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. Now, again, if you're following along in the notes, notice this. Jesus' disciples' first impulse is to send people away. Jesus' disciples' first impulse is to send them away. (laughs) As Steve made a joke last week about introverts, some of you are going, yeah, right. Let's do that right now. This has been a long afternoon, and my battery's getting drained quickly. But notice it's more about the fact that they're trying to figure out, what do we do with this crowd? Have you ever seen large crowds? Uh, Back in the days of Promise Keepers in the 90s, I actually saw 50,000 men be served a meal. And how they figured that out was, to me, a mathematical quandary. Being in a stadium there in Coors Field, Folsom Field, excuse me, 
in, in Boulder, Colorado, watching that happen was an amazing thing to watch. Now, imagine these people all crowding in and trying to feed them. So the disciples, they're not just being antisocial. They're saying, this is, this, we, we, do not, we did not bring enough food for all these people. What are we going to do? And let's, the most logical thing, Jesus, is let's just send them away. But Jesus stretches us sometimes. And notice if you're following in verse 13, what he says next. He replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. Now, again, if you ever read this, this is found in Matthew 14, Mark 6, and also John 6. You can, you can read about that in other places. But what we notice is, is that in, in one of the Gospels, Jesus says, he says, where shall we buy food for all these people? And it says that he already knew what he was going to do. He was simply testing his disciples to see how they'd answer. And so as they tried to do the math, they tried to, but in some of the other Gospels, it also says that he said to the disciples, go and find out what we have. And they came back. John's gospel tells us that Andrew, who is always bringing people to Jesus, Andrew says, here's a boy with five loaves and two fish. Now, the loaves were, the, the description for loaves were barley loaves. It was the food of the poor. They were small. These are not big, you know, loaves. And so he, they're just trying to say, little, little fish, little loaves, how are we going to feed everybody? And Jesus has already said, you give them something to eat. Now, remember, he's just sent them out. So he's trying to teach them, look, I can work through you. You can do the same things I can do if you'll trust me. And so, again, if you're following along, instead, Jesus says, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Notice what he does next. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. Corinthians teaches us that God is not a God of confusion, but a God of order. So he says, look, first of all, let's get these people in orderly fashion so that you can move about them. Have them seat in groups of 50. And when you do that, then I love what it says. In fact, would you read, in some of your notes, it's Luke 9, 15. Would you fix that for me? By the way, it's Luke 9, 16, I believe. And so some of your notes say Luke 9, 16 in that third gray box, but let's read it together. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. This is an interesting thing. If you're following along, Jesus takes what they have, looks heavenward, and gives thanks. This, by the way, was a pattern of his. I mentioned that in Luke 24, after he'd risen, that he actually had a meal with two people uh, in Emmaus. After he'd risen, he, he came incognito to two people that were walking away from Jerusalem on their way to Emmaus. And he's asking them all kinds of questions. And they can tell that something is unusual about Jesus. But when they actually get to uh, the home, they, they urge him to come and stay with us. And as they're eating a meal, it says he took the bread, he gave thanks, and then he broke it. And it was at that moment they recognized him. Why? Was it because that was always his pattern of the way he ate? Or was it because as he broke the bread, they saw nail holes? I don't know. 
But I know this, that when they, when they put that little meal in the hands of Jesus, something happened. And his hands became precious. And again, if you're following along, notice that then Jesus gives them something to give to others. Then Jesus gives them something to give to others. And it ends up being more than enough. Look at what Glenn Packiam, a pastor in Colorado, says. I, I love this. <clears throat> Do we have that there? Or is that my, am I reading that one? I'm reading that one. Sorry. This is my favorite thing about the story, Glenn writes. Jesus gave it back to the disciples to distribute to the people. Jesus says to us, place who you are and what you have in my hands. Your broken life, your story, your frailty and your failure, your pain and your suffering. Put it in my hands. You'll be surprised by what I can do with it. In Jesus' hands, the small, insignificant, completely inadequate provision became more than enough. Jesus blesses our inadequacy. He will do the multiplication, but he wants our participation. Isn't that good? And the disciples, even though they were scared out of their minds by this whole experience, it's a powerful, powerful thing. And then verse 17, it says this, They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. I love how it says, I believe it's in Matthew's gospel. Jesus says, now pick up the leftovers. Let nothing be wasted. Now, as they're doing this, again, try and put yourself in the disciples' shoes. As they're picking up the leftovers... What do you think is going through mind? Because the Gospels teach us that there were 12 basketfuls left over. That's an interesting witness account, which means each one of them, when they went with their basket, they were able to fill their basket and they realized, wow, there's something different about this man. And if you're following along, gathering the leftovers, they see what trusting Jesus can do. Gathering the leftovers, they see what trusting Jesus can do. They didn't start out that way, and neither do you and I most of the time. But as they gather leftovers, they think, wow, I severely underestimated who I'm spending time with. This is Jesus, and when he says, you give them something to eat, he can help me give them something to eat if I'll put whatever I have in his hands. And so just a powerful thing. Here's again another quote, and I know this one is on the screen, so we'll go with this one. Most of what you do as a community of hospitality will go unnoticed and unrecognized. At base, hospitality is about providing a space for God's spirit to move. Setting a table, cooking a meal, washing the dishes is a ministry of facilitation. Providing a context in which people feel loved and welcome and where God's spirit can be at work in their lives. Hospitality is a very ordinary business, but in its ordinariness, it is its real worth. Now, what I want to talk to you about is the disciples from that point on continue to practice having meals together. In fact, it tells us in Acts 2 that they ate together with glad and sincere hearts in their homes. This was something, it was one of the ways they spent time together. And so I want to talk to you about yes, but how. And as I think about doing this, 
And what I want to do is just speak to what I imagine is going on, the same kind of maybe tension you're feeling inside that I felt while I was studying this. Lord, how do I do this? How do I practice a spirit of hospitality in this culture where people are more reticent to respond to hanging out compared to how they used to? How do we do this? What does it look like? Now, what I want to share with you is a Bible verse that came to my mind while I was studying this. And I feel like the Spirit of God is saying this to all of us. So 2 Corinthians 8, 12, here's what it says. For if the willingness is there, that's huge. The gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. If the willingness is there, what the Apostle Paul is writing here is the willingness is there. God can take whatever you have, whatever your station is in life, whatever my station is in life, and if the willingness is there, if we're willing to put it in his hands and not push back, not protest, then he can take whatever it is and he can do something with it, through it, and he can use us. And so as I think about that, here's, my, here's one of the things I want to ask you. When the disciples were witnessing all this, as they tried to think about how they cared about other people. I mean, just think about this. Jesus had compassion on these crowds. When he looked at them, he didn't see interruptions. He saw opportunities to love people. He saw people. And so in my mind, if you and I are gonna become hospitable, not only does there need to be a willingness, but we need to go back one more step and say, God, I need your heart. Because my starting point is is that I, unless I have your heart, I won't see people the way you see them, nor will I want to do anything for them. So please, as I walk close to you, reshape my heart so that I can become like that too. Because that's what will ultimately motivate us. If we do this, friends, out of guilt, if we do this out of compulsion, not only will it actually be an insult to the people we do it for, but also it will not be the way of Jesus. And so the disciples were moved by his heart. Now, again, yes, but how? How do we do this? First of all, I want to ask you this question. What's your starting point? Okay, I've told you this before. I'm married to an introvert, and many people think I'm an extrovert. Now, I've become more introverted over the years, but it's helped me to be married to an introvert because I start thinking things with that in mind as well. So as Steve mentioned last week, he's more introverted. And so his starting point is going to be different than my starting point. But what's yours? Do you know, what, do you know that about yourself? Is it a is challenge for you to be with people? If it is, then first of all, know that that's not a mistake. God made your personality. But what he wants to do is ask you, is there a willingness there with your personality to do it the way I'm going to ask you to do it? It's going to stretch all of us, but its starting point is big. Here's another thing. What's your starting point as far as the station and chapter you're in in your life? Some of you have people to care for every day and it's all consuming. And so to think about doing something else right now is going to be different for you. I once had a lady when I was a pastor out in Iowa that came to me one Sunday after a message and she said, Jeff, I only have so many Lego snaps. 
right now. That's what she said. I'll never forget it. What she was saying is, is that if I have a six-piece Lego, then about five of those snaps are being all taken up right now by the people that I have to care for. Some of you are caring for parents. Some of you are caring for children. Some of you are caring for situations, whether it's fostering or adopting or inviting people for a season into your home. Again, that's going to change some of what your starting point is. Some of you travel all week. So you have to figure out what would that look like even one time in a month for me, what would that mean? Some of you also at lunchtime, you have no break or you get a very short break. So the idea of ever having a lunch with someone would not be happening during the week. So do you hear what I'm trying to say? If you start with your starting point and trying to discern what Jesus is saying to you, it's really important. But now I've said enough. Let me move into how we actually apply this. Okay. First, ask Jesus, pause, Pray, pray. If you walk out of here and you decide to do something without praying, don't do that. Ask Jesus, say, Jesus, what are you saying to me? So ask Jesus to show you when, how, and with whom you can share food. When, when would it be? When would it be? Now, here's one of the things. Uh, Tim Chester, who, who wrote a great book called A Meal with Jesus that I quoted earlier, He said, most of us in the United States already have 21 made opportunities because we eat 21 times. And what he's saying is, it's not that we can use all those times to be with people. What he's saying is, what if we took just one of those? Or if that's, you know, um, if you multiply that times four, four weeks in a month, you know, that's 84 opportunities. Would one of those, would one of those, for some of you, it might have to be on a weekend. For some of you, it might have to be early in the morning. For some of you, it might be a lunchtime. When? When would it be? How? Here's another question. Is inviting someone into your home the right thing? As I said earlier, if you're in a margin situation because you've already got consuming situation in your home, it might not be, you might not be able. But that doesn't have to stop you. Maybe you could meet at a coffee shop. Maybe you meet at a restaurant and you say, let's go Dutch. Maybe, I don't know what it would mean. But how? Because here's one of my favorite quotes in the world. Rick Warren says, nothing becomes dynamic until it becomes specific. Until you say, this is when, this is how, and then with whom? With whom? Friends, I have a piece of paper I carry around with me in my Bible that reminds me of a number of friends I have that do not yet know Jesus or have not yet trusted him. They're very honest about that. And I pray for those people. Even while we were singing, I was finding myself praying for some of my friends and family members that do not know Christ. And so with whom? Would it be somebody that I work with? Would it be somebody, you know, that that you work with? Would it be somebody that you, I've now moving in different circles outside our church, as you know, in my new responsibility. And so some of those people, I thought, How about if I went to lunch or coffee with them and just got to know them better and see what God does? Some of you, again, who would it be? Is it somebody in your neighborhood? Can I ask you a question? Do you know your neighbors? Do you know their names? One of the things about COVID that was really a blessing is that I actually, we have 55 houses on our circle. And during COVID, I met people I had never met before because everybody wanted to get outside so they could breathe. And I met more people. 
And so I created a map where now I know the names of my neighbors. And I'm not trying to do that to be creepy. I'm doing that just so I pray for those people. And so when I go, in fact, I think there's probably someone watching during this service right now that's one of my neighbors that's not able to get out. A 92, 93-year-old lady named Alice and her son Paul that have been watching our services. But that all started during covid and it really is a blessing. But again, just by getting to know your neighbors, who might it be? Even if you get to know one more neighbor than you already know, with whom? Okay. Um, here's another thing. Um, the next 30 days, invite someone to coffee, dessert, or a meal. Invite someone uh, to coffee, dessert, or a meal. What if in the next month, you just try to say, I'm not going to try and be Mr. or Mrs. Hospitality or Miss Hospitality. I'm just going to try and practice this once but I'm going to try to do it and I'm going to see what happens. Now, here's, here's, we all know this is a risk. What if they reject me? Could happen, you know, but Jesus told us it wouldn't necessarily be easy, but if you can, I can get to the place, say, Lord, my only responsibility is to be faithful. Your responsibility is to help make it happen. If it's supposed to happen. I'm just going to try and put myself because the willingness is there. Can I tell you a couple of things that changed my life? Here's one number about 30 years ago. I was sitting in a group of people and a pastor asked this question to those of us that were pastors. He said in the last 30 days, how many of you have had a breakfast, lunch, or dinner with someone who's far from God? I thought, man, I hadn't, I hadn't done that. And it cut me to the heart, not, not out of guilt so much as I knew God wanted me to have a bigger heart. So I started becoming more intentional about meeting people in our community and having lunch with them or figuring out a way to have coffee with them. And again, not to put the heavy you know, full court press on them, but to get to know them well enough so that if there was any possibility of us ever talking about God, that had been broken through. That changed my life. It changed the direction of my life. So I just mentioned that. And here's one more thing that changed my life uh, in a way. It really is a story I hadn't remembered until just this week. So I called this lady a number of years ago uh, on a Sunday night service. A lady shared this story and I asked her if she still had it and she did. Now let me read it to you. Shortly after completing a study on experiencing God, I became more aware of the truth that God is always at work around me. I felt God was asking me to reach out to the people around me and to be more willing to open my home to them. I would often use the excuse that I was quiet and I didn't know what to say to people or my house wasn't clean enough or that we have a dog that sheds and I can't keep up with the dog hair. I allowed those things to keep me from inviting people into my home. A couple of months ago, this was several years ago, I sat beside a young couple who were fairly new to the area. I introduced myself to them. Shortly afterwards, I ran into this young gal on several occasions and learned that she was rather lonely in Springfield and was eager to find a church home and to make some new friends. Another spiritual truth from experiencing God is that God invites us to become involved with him in his work, to join him. I felt the Lord was asking me to reach out to this gal, so I invited her to meet for lunch at a restaurant on Friday. Later that afternoon, I felt that the Lord was saying, no, I didn't mean for you to invite this young lady to a restaurant. You need to invite her into your home and also invite a few other ladies from church to meet her. I began making phone calls as the Lord placed names on my mind and soon had invited four more ladies over for lunch. When I went to bed that night, I could not get to sleep. I thought, well, now you've done it. 
You're not going to be home all day Thursday. How are you going to get the house clean? And what are you going to fix to serve them for lunch? As I restlessly laid in bed, the Lord gave me the words from Matthew 6, 31 through 33. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given you as well. Those words brought comfort to my anxious heart and I was finally able to fall asleep. The next morning I went to get a haircut and I told my beautician about the lunch. I asked her if she had any ideas of what I could serve at the lunch and she immediately told me about a recipe for a spinach strawberry salad, which is a very colorful salad and what a wonderful blessing of two flavors besides being nutritious. Wow, God had just provided a recipe for me to use for lunch. Um, When I arrived home from the beauty shop, there by my front door was a beautiful bouquet of fresh flowers for my boss in honor of Secretary's Day. God had even provided my centerpiece. She said, when I got home, there was a message asking for a contribution of food for a funeral lunch at church that was also on Friday. And she goes on to say, she realized she'd bought enough spinach to make two of these salads and took one of them to the funeral lunch. My guest arrived for the lunch and we had an enjoyable, relaxing afternoon and we didn't have any problem thinking about something to talk about. And I discovered a real need for fellowship with one another. Before my guests left mid-afternoon, they had all asked for the recipe for the spinach strawberry salad, as well as about 10 other people from the funeral luncheon. And when I hear people say that God doesn't care about the little things in our lives, I have to smile as I think about how much he cared about my lunch. When I was obedient to his leading and I stepped out in faith to invite this new friend into my home, he not only provided a guest list, a centerpiece, and a recipe, but he sent a very nutritious and appetizing salad recipe that blessed more people on one weekend than I could ever imagine. God doesn't require perfection. He only wants us to give from what we have. You don't even have to have the spiritual gift of hospitality for God to use you to touch other people's lives. I learned that when we are obedient to God, he truly blesses. And I don't know what he wants to do in your life today. I don't even know how this message is hitting you, but I've been praying that you'd know. And so before this message is over, before the service is over, I'm going to give you an opportunity to think about what he might be saying to you. But as we close, giving myself to Jesus' mission, here's a prayer you and I can pray. Lord, move us, move me from pushback to willing participation with you. Move me, move us from pushback to willing participation for you. Can you imagine if our church family, if each of us, we just walk out of here and say, Lord, is there someone in our community that doesn't know you yet that I could be mindful of? Is there someone I just met at church that may just need enfolding and need to be included? Show me how to have the spirit of hospitality and put it into practice. And like your disciples, I know I probably will not see what trusting you can do until I actually obey. But God, help me obey and not just be a Christian in name only. Help me not to be a nominal Christian. Help me to be a growing Christian that follows you. Uh, one of the stories I love is when Peter was being told by Jesus, let's put out the nets. And he goes, Lord, we just fished all night and didn't catch a thing. I'll never forget this line. But because you say so, I will. But because you say so. So here's what I want to just ask. These are two questions as disciples of Jesus we need to ask every day. Lord, what do you want me to know? And what do you want me to do? 
So would you mind bowing your head and just asking those two questions if you're willing? If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I don't know how this message might have crossed, you know, with your mind and heart, but just know that Jesus wants to be hospitable to you. And we're glad you're here. Let's pray. For if the willingness is there, the gift, even if it's just five loaves and two fish, is acceptable according to what one does have. Thank you, Jesus, that you're looking for what we do have, not for what we don't have. You're looking to see if there's a willingness to obey and to trust you. So, God, I pray for this coming week that you'll fire our imagination, bring to mind people that you care about and want us to care about with you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website or find us on Facebook. Have a great day.